Well, good morning and welcome. We're so glad that you chose to join us this weekend as we launch into this new series that we've entitled, We Are Vineyard. You know, since the beginning of time, before alphabets were ever created, people have told stories. Telling stories is hardwired into humanity. And the people of God, the Israelites, would have been familiar and would have commonly told the story of God to one another. This is how they passed truth from one generation to the next. This is how they stayed encouraged in times of trouble. This is how they had faith for the future. I have always loved stories. I love to read stories and watch stories and hear stories and yes, tell stories. You have a story, your family has a story, and our church has a story. And today, I want to share part of our vineyard story with you all because I believe that the stories of our past help us define the destiny of our future. Our stories help us understand who we are and the purpose that God has for each of us. You know, Jesus gave his church, his body, the same mission. And that mission is this, to evangelize, to baptize, to teach, and to make disciples. In fact, you can go to the last book of the, the last chapter in the book of Matthew, where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he gives what's known as the Great Commission. This is what Jesus says. He tells the disciples, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So the mission of Jesus's church stays the same throughout the centuries, but it is lived out differently depending on our context and our culture, and yes, the church that we attend. Every church has a unique flavor. It has its own personality and style. We believe that God loves the whole church, the capital C church, and to each church that he births, he gives a unique and specific assignment. What's amazing about this is that none of us can reflect all of who God is, but each of us can reflect a part of him. And our job is to determine what that part is. That's our destiny. Our job is to be the church that God has created us to be, fulfilling the call that he's given us. Now, parents and teachers and even society often tell young people, you can be anything you want to be. How many of you have heard this before? I know we have some young people over here. Yes, you've heard this. Just dream and believe. You, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Well, I hate to break it to you, but that is, in fact, fake news. You cannot be anything you want to be. I cannot be a WNBA basketball player. Why? I'm not that good at basketball, and I'm about a half a foot too short. I cannot be anything that I want to be, but I can be who God created me to be. And I think that we need to help young people, and let's be honest, older people too, not be who they think they should be, but rather discover who God has created them to be. I think this, this, this ties into the church. It, that same principle applies to churches. While no church is perfect, each church is precious and created with a purpose. And as a church, we can't be whoever we want to be, but we can be who God created us to be. And so we wanna explore and steward the gifts that God has placed in this house over the last 45 years. So what is the story of our church family? What are we about? What's the vision that we have for our city and our community and, and the world? 
How do we live out this mission that Jesus has given us? These are great questions to ask, and this is what we're gonna be exploring over the next five weeks together. It's essential that we take time to tell the stories, because if we don't know who we are as a church and why we're here, it's going to be very challenging to give our full yes to the assignment that God has given to us as the Vineyard Church. It can be challenging to know, like, why should I even come to church? Why should I even participate or partner? if we don't clearly define who we are and why we're here. We do something intentionally here. Some of you have heard the stories I'm going to share today. Some of you, maybe you haven't. But we intentionally repeat the stories because we believe this, that our history is tied to our destiny. And we wanna make sure that we continue on what was started here 45 years ago. We wanna be men and women and families who join in the story that Jesus is writing in this time, in this day. And if you're coming to this house, if you feel drawn here, if you feel a connection here, my hunch is that you have a similar destiny on your life. So I'm gonna pray and invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher today. And then we're gonna jump in and we're gonna talk about what is the story of this house. And so Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. You are the teacher. And so we invite you to come and to give us ears to hear today, soft hearts. Thank you that you're always moving. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's important that we invited the Holy Spirit to be our teacher today because he is going to be very important in the story of the vineyard. And he's gonna be key to understanding what we are to steward as a church. Now, some of you may be very familiar with the Holy Spirit and you know him personally, but others, maybe not so much. Maybe he is more of a mythical being to you or maybe you don't know who he is at all. And so I wanna be clear, the Holy Spirit is God. We have one God, a triune God. He's one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are co-equal and co-eternal. And the scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit is many things, He is our teacher, he is our advocate, he's our counselor, but my personal favorite, he is our helper. When you say yes to Jesus, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. And this means that he is a gift. He is a gift that every believer has. Now, what we're gonna learn is that he needs to be activated. And so for some of us, we may have been a Christian for a long time, but not realize this precious gift. The Holy Spirit is always moving, And he's always inviting us to say yes to him. You may not have known this. The Holy Spirit is for you. He loves you. And not only that, the Holy Spirit is writing a story. He's writing a story in our midst, a corporate story, but he's writing a story in your life too. The Holy Spirit is going to be key as we look at our history. And so what is our vineyard history? Well, you might not know this, but our church is part of a larger movement called the Vineyard. And the Vineyard movement started in the 1970s, specifically with the Jesus People movement, where God's spirit was being poured out on the hippies and people were coming to faith. How many of you saw the Jesus Revolution movie? Anybody? Okay, that's what I thought. It's pretty popular. One of the main characters in that movie, Lonnie Frisbee, had a very important role in the vineyard's history. And so I wanna tell you that story. 
A couple named John and Carol Wimber were pastors of an up-and-coming church in Yorba Linda, California, and their church was making an impact on affecting many young people, but they were hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. Their church was planted in Southern California on the heels of the sexual revolution, and there was a lot of brokenness in their community, not to mention drugs and poverty, racism and crime, and they had been praying for an outpouring of God's love and power. They knew that they needed the kingdom of God to come, and they were praying for a breakthrough when the Holy Spirit decided to surprise them. This is how Carol recounts what happened on the day that changed everything. This is reading her words. At the prompting of the Spirit, although nervous and somewhat fearful, John followed through and invited Lonnie, Lonnie Frisbee, to give his testimony on May 11th, 1980, Mother's Day. Lonnie was articulate, profound, and funny. John's fears were put to rest as he enjoyed Lonnie along with everyone else. That was until the end. After the hilarious applause, John, full of good cheer, made a move to get up to the keyboard to take the mic and close the meeting, but he wasn't fast enough. While John was planning his closing words, Lonnie invited everyone under 25 to come forward, but since that was basically our entire congregation of 1,500 people, everyone just kind of crowded toward the front. Then Lonnie did his famous and favorite prophetic invitation. The church has, for years, grieved the Holy Spirit but he's getting over it. Come, Holy Spirit. Pandemonium broke out. Everyone was shouting, and you couldn't hear anything above the roar of the crowds as hundreds were filled with the Holy Spirit, and some began shouting loudly in tongues. Carol found John wading through the crowd and said, this, John, is it. His gazed, he, he gazed at her with some sort of stunned expression. This was messy. It was surprising. John didn't sleep at all that night. He stayed up with his books on church history and revivals and studied and prayed. And about five in the morning, Tom Stipe, a friend and fellow pastor from Denver, called him and said this, hey, I don't know what's going on there, John, but the Lord woke me up and told me to call you and tell you it's him. Does that make sense? Talk about prophetic. When John came down to the offices the next morning, there was a contingency of unhappy staff members. This is what John said to them. I understand how you feel, but... There is something that you need to understand about me if we are going to continue to work together. If there is ever a choice between the smart thing to do and the move of the Holy Spirit, I will always land on the side of the Spirit. You need to know that. This was a defining moment in vineyard history. This outpouring changed everything for John and Carol and their church because suddenly people were free from their addictions. They were healed of their brokenness and commissioned to give away what they'd received. When the Spirit comes, the kingdom comes healing and hope and wholeness. You see, we have a choice regarding the Spirit. We can embrace Him or we can deny Him. We can pass or we can participate. John chose to say yes to the Spirit, and eventually that little church in Yorba Linda would become a vineyard, and John would become the leader of a small group of vineyards known as the Association of Vineyard Churches that were crazy about the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God. You see, when the Spirit comes, stuff happens. This is true of Mother's Day 1980, but it's also true of the day of Pentecost. And so let's go to Acts 2, because this is the day that the Holy Spirit first arrived on the scene. And let me give you a little bit of context here. Jesus has died. He's resurrected. He's now appeared to his disciples, and they have spent about 40 days together. And then Jesus ascends to heaven. But before he ascends, he gives instructions to his disciples. He says, listen, I have a gift for you. It's an amazing gift. Do not leave Jerusalem until this gift comes. 
Okay, so those were the instructions. Well, one day passes. Okay, two days pass. Three days pass. How many of you have ever waited for something and just discovered just how incredibly impatient you are? This would have been so challenging. They knew something was coming, but they didn't know what it was. And now they're on day 10. They're on day 10 and they're meeting together in a little room and it's in the morning when suddenly a strong wind enters the room and the people are filled with the spirit and tongues of fire appear above their heads and they begin to speak in foreign languages. And at first people are like, okay, these guys and gals are drunk. And Peter's like, um, it's nine o'clock in the morning. Now I do understand we are on campus. And so you may have seen drunk people at nine o'clock in the morning, but this was not normal. This was not normal. Peter's like, they're not drunk. There's no way something else has to be happening. You see, the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit is that he can surprise us. He can surprise us. When he shows up, stuff happens. There is an experiential nature when the Holy Spirit comes. When he comes, there are often what is known as physical manifestations. That means that physically things happen. We might cry, we might shake, we might get hot, we may speak in tongues. All of those are signs that the Spirit is among us. And the disciples begin to realize in this moment, this is the gift that he's promised. This is the gift that Jesus spoke and taught us about that is going to change everything for us. He's gonna actually empower us to live the Christian life. He is the power. And they realize in this moment that everything's about to change. So what does Peter do? Well, Peter does what we do. He tells the story. So right there in Acts 2, Peter tells the story of Jesus. He recounts all that's happened. And then he, he, he preaches the gospel. And I'm gonna pick up in Acts 2.38. This is at the end of his gospel message. And this is how he ends it. He says, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So what are just a few takeaways from this passage? Peter's telling us, repent and turn to God. True freedom is found in surrender because Jesus can forgive all of our sins. He can set us free. This is the story of the gospel. And then there is an invitation to be baptized. And here at Urbana on Sunday, October 29th, we are going to have a baptism service. And if you have not yet been baptized, we wanna encourage you to make that decision, to make the public declaration that you are dead to sin and alive to Jesus. And then Peter says, when this happens, you receive the Holy Spirit. He's the gift. He's the promise to you and your kids. And he is the thing that's going to free us from this broken culture that surrounds us. The Holy Spirit is the key to the Christian life. And what was the result of Peter telling the story of preaching the gospel message? Thousands were saved. And you know what? They only counted the men, which that's bogus, but there were a lot of people who got saved that day. Because you see what happens when the Spirit comes, stuff happens. When the Spirit comes, stuff happens. The Holy Spirit is always moving, whether or not we're aware of it, he's moving in each of your lives. He's writing a story right now, this morning. He's writing a story in your life and he's often asking us, will you participate with me? Will you join in what I'm doing in your life? So at this point, you might be wondering, okay, so you've told me the beginning stories of the vineyard, you've told me about Acts, how do these things 
come together with our story here in central Illinois, how is the Holy Spirit involved in the start of our church? Well, Happy and Diane Lehman, my parents and our founding pastors, told this story several years back, and so I thought it would be fun for us to watch them tell this story. Now, this was before mom discovered she has the most amazing, gorgeous white hair, so it's a little bit old, but the story stays the same, and I want us to turn our attention to the screens. Our story begins on the campus of the University of Illinois. Happy came in 1966, I came in 1969, and we both love university life. Part of a fraternity and a sorority. I was studying education, Hap was studying business, and we fell deeply in love. That's for sure. Yes. And thankfully, we were on the same page. We both had no interest in God, faith, church at all. And when Hap proposed, he said, I'll be a millionaire by age 30. And I said, yes. And so we were on our way married in August of 1971. And then one month into our marriage, I meet Jesus. And I so much wanted Hap to know him too. And together, we both became born again, water baptized in May of 1972. And we were hungry for God. We knew we were new babies in Christ. We wanted all we could learn. And so that continued, but Hap, you were doing fairly well as a financial planner. You finished your MBA, you'd begun your career. I was teaching school in Urbana, special education at Weber School. I loved uh, special ed, I loved helping the handicapped, the marginalized, and I loved children. And we wanted children, but after lots of tests, lots of money, medical procedures, drugs, surgery at Carl Hospital, we were told we most likely would never conceive our own child. And this was very devastating, very devastating. And it sent us really on a spiritual search. We, we wanted answers. We, we sought out pastors and spiritual advisors who said, sorry, the day of miracles is over. God is no longer doing any kind of healing. That's past. So our next option was, all right, let's head to the experts in Chicago. And so we headed up to Northwestern Hospital in Evanston. I love this story. <laughs> well, God's always out ahead of us. So as part of my job, I did a lot of travel. Yeah. I'm out in the car and um, I'm just kind of not paying attention to anything. All of a sudden I thought I heard God say, you're going to your last appointment in Chicago soon. It's gonna go very poorly. You're gonna get bad news. Don't worry about it, it'll be okay, I'll take care of it. Well, I promptly marched in and told Diane, I just heard from God. Now mind you, I never heard from God before in my <laughs> life, but I was confident. And yeah. what did you think? Well, first of all, we were taught that God never speaks, that you have the Bible, you don't wanna hear voices, right? And I really thought if God's gonna speak, would he speak to you? Like, you were kind of lukewarm in your Christianity, <laughs> but... But God often uses the foolish things. He does. <laughs> so it was interesting. The doctor said almost exactly I what I had told you he was going to say. And we thought, wow, that's interesting. Well, then the next thing that happens is a friend walks into my office. He'd worked with me. Yeah. I hardly knew he was a Christian. I wasn't very active in sharing my faith. <laughs> He said, did you know God is still doing miracles? I said, well, I have an MBA. I don't have a single class on miracles, but we need a miracle. And I didn't know it. So he said, well, come with me to a meeting in Indianapolis. Uh, we'll find out about it. 
I went with him thinking that surely we'd get a baby if we simply went. We didn't get a baby there, but we did find out about the Holy Spirit. Yes, we get surprised with meeting the Holy Spirit, who we'd never actually heard of before or knew much about. We'd been Christians for five years, but we didn't knew nothing about the Holy Spirit. And this encounter ended up changing everything for us. As we got filled with the Holy Spirit, discovered He empowers us, changes us, transforms us. And most importantly, because He is the teacher, the Holy Spirit made God's Word come alive for us. And He always shines the light on Jesus. And we saw Jesus is a healer. He, he, the Bible was clear. He's, he does miracles. He answers prayer. So we decided to go around town and ask people more spiritual than us. We weren't too confident at the time if they'd pray but they were all very reluctant and really considered us somewhat presumptuous that we were asking God to give us a baby and heal us. So that, well, I guess we'll just pray for ourselves, which we did. And then we decided, it doesn't appear that much of this town knows that God is doing miracles. Why don't we start a little Bible study right here in our home, which we did. And we began to tell people, God is still doing miracles. Jesus is a healer. You can get filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be changed. God's Word can come alive. And this was all very, very exciting. Except we personally did not get healed. We did not have a baby. And we were just continuing to have faith, believe that what God said was true and that He was faithful. Those were some challenging Those months. were some very challenging months. Uh, I went back to teach school that fall. You were working and now it's been almost a year. It's April 1978 and still no baby, no healing. And the adoption agency calls. And we'd already done our home inspection, paid our money, and they let us know we were next. The baby was ours. Well, that night when we were praying, God asked us, why are you adopting? We're like, well, well, because we actually don't think you're going to come through. It's been almost a year, but we knew that was wrong. We wanted to trust God. So the next morning we called the adoption agency and said, hand that baby off to the next couple. And that was in May, 1978. And we continued to soldier on trusting God. And we actually launched the first official session of what we called our teaching center, the Good News Teaching Center, where we wanted to share the good news, even though we ourselves had not experienced the fullness of that. And we launched that in May, now June. In July, I wasn't feeling great, but I hadn't been back to the doctor for 15 months because we told him God was giving us a miracle. We were waiting on that. And upon examination, he said, you, this is worse than ever, but I want to do a full examination. And when he did, much to his surprise and my surprise, he goes, there's someone living in you. And I was over three months pregnant with our first son, Jonathan David, who would be born January 1979. You can imagine what happened to that little small group that was in their home when they did receive healing. It exploded, and they had to tell the whole, time, the whole town that God is out ahead of us, that he's writing a good story, that Jesus is alive, that we can be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that God is still doing miracles today. 
and that the Holy Spirit changes everything. They had encountered a love like never before. They had experienced transformation in their lives and now they had to extend the miraculous. They had to tell the whole town. And so they said yes to that assignment. God's plans for mom and dad were way bigger than growing their natural family, although that did happen because my second brother came about 18 months after my first and then I was born two years later in 1982. But it wasn't just about the Lehman family. It was about a spiritual family that God was building here in central Illinois. At first, our church wasn't a vineyard. As she said in the video, the very first name of this church was the Good News Center and Evangelistic Association. Yes, it was quite a mouthful. You can just imagine that on a t-shirt. But the real reason they chose that was they wanted to share the good news. They wanted to tell people about Jesus. Now, having been raised in religion, both mom and dad struggled a little bit to find their footing and they had slipped back into some legalism in those early years, feeling the pressure of what religion can do. And around this time, a magazine showed up at my parents' house and on the front was a question about a course at Fuller Seminary called uh, MC 510. And the question was this, could this number affect your faith? Now, the course was a course taught by John Wimber on signs, wonders, and church growth, and this really intrigued my mom, and so she did what you did in the 80s. You got on the phone, and you found you know, a phone number and called someone, because there was no Google searches. She ends up talking to someone who invites her, she and my dad out to a vineyard conference in California. Feeling the Holy Spirit on this invitation, they said yes, they packed their suitcases and me. I was a one-year-old at the time, and they head out to California. Now they're dressed in a full suit and a dress, and they walk into a vineyard conference in Palm Springs, California to be met with men and women in shorts and Hawaiian t-shirts because the vineyard was planted by Californian surfers. And these men and women were, were weeping during worship. They were being wrecked by the Holy Spirit, and it was overwhelming, to say the least. In fact, mom reports that she definitely thought it was a cult. And she told my dad, we are getting out of here fast. Now, my dad is fiscally minded. And what you need to know is when my dad spends a dollar, he wants to get his money's worth. And he said to her, we spent $500 coming out here. We are staying. And thankfully, dad's stubbornness paid off, and they stayed. And what happened was that they encountered the Holy Spirit in such a fresh and intimate way. You know, they had known about the infilling of the Holy Spirit or sometimes called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they had really understood it as a one-time event. And through the vineyard, they learned that they can, you can be filled over and over again with the Holy Spirit. That once you receive him, it's not about being full or empty. He never leaves. He never goes. But it is about being stirred or settled. And through the vineyard, they learned that they could invite the Holy Spirit to be stirred up in them daily, empowering them to do life. John and the other vineyard leaders, they, they had this incredible vision for what the church should be. They believed that the church should be built on the Bible and the kingdom of God with Jesus at the head. They believe that the church um, should, should have two legs. On one leg, there should be worship where we don't just sing at God, we sing to God. And on the other side, there, there's a, a desire for compassion that we, that we pursue kingdom ministry, that we bring hope and healing and justice where there's injustice. The Vineyard introduced my parents to what's known as a naturally supernatural lifestyle. That's where we get to do the things that Jesus did in the Bible. We don't just sing about it and cry about it and pray about it. We actually get to do it which means that we're gonna lay hands on the sick. We're gonna set people who are demonized free. We're going to love the unlovely. We're gonna fight against injustice. We're gonna do the things that Jesus did. 
The vineyard was committed to stewarding the presence of the Holy Spirit and planting churches that had these similar values. And when mom and dad were introduced to this framework, this posture, this mission, they knew they'd found their people. The Holy Spirit had led them perfectly where he wanted them. And so as they say, the rest became history. And this church became a vineyard church in the mid-1980s. And then for years, my parents served the national vineyard because that's what you do in a family. You serve. And so mom and dad served in many different roles. My dad sat on the board and he was a regional leader. He worked with missions and music and budgets. And my mom did many things. She empowered women and she led Holy Spirit initiatives and training. And she also sat on the board they served for many years. And in addition to serving, we were also committed to planting churches. This church has planted many churches in Indiana and Minnesota and Chicagoland and then all throughout central Illinois because we've had a long-held belief that we want more people in more places with more God stories. We want more people to experience freedom and transformation, hope and healing. We want everyone to know that God is still doing miracles today. And eventually, our church has changed and morphed into what we have today. We have two campuses here at Urbana and then down in Sullivan and, of course, our online community. Mike and I now have the privilege of serving as regional leaders, and our team is serving right alongside us in many different roles in kids and youth and leadership. We are committed to this cause because we are committed to this family. We are Vineyard. I want to end our time together today by talking about our foundation and our future. This church has been built upon two verses. The first verse is Matthew 6:33 and it says this, "But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you." These are Jesus's instructions. Seek the kingdom and his righteousness. Seek. What does that mean? To go after, to find, to desire. So the first thing that we're instructed to go after is the kingdom. What is the kingdom? The kingdom is God's rule and reign. It is his invading presence here on earth. And what happened is when Jesus came, when he came to earth for his mission, he brought the kingdom of God with him. Now, it's not fully here. And so we live in a tension of what's called the already and the not yet. But what this means is that we can pray for healing, that miracles can happen today, that we don't have to wait till heaven to experience breakthrough today. The kingdom has come and we can partner with him. Jesus even tells us to do this in his daily prayer that he instructs us. He says, pray today that my kingdom would come, that my will would be done. And so we want to understand the kingdom. We want to breathe the kingdom because the kingdom becomes the lens through which we view all of life. It's how we understand the good and the bad. It's how we understand the sweet and the sour. The kingdom of God is incredibly foundational to our house. And the second part of that verse is to seek righteousness, his righteousness. In the last 15 years, this has really come alive to us as we've more fully understood the incredible gift that Jesus gave us when his righteousness transformed us into what we were always meant to be. And what we like to say here is that we are no longer sinners, we're saints who are learning to live in the fullness of what Jesus has paid for. I get it, some of you today, you might feel like I'm worthless, but the message of the cross is you are worthy. Some of you may feel I'm too broken, but the message of righteousness is that he makes you holy and whole. 
We are a house that is committed to keeping the kingdom and our righteous identity at the forefront of all we do. Why? Well, first of all, these are Jesus's instructions, but secondly, and maybe even more importantly here, is the promise that Jesus has attached to us. All things will be added to us. He will provide everything that we need. The second verse that this house has been built upon is John 14, 12. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. This house was born out of a miracle. And Jesus's bold claim here to his disciples, it's crazy. He says, you know, all that crazy cool stuff you've seen me do, you know, heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons and set people free, you're gonna do the same and greater works. This is a promise that we cling to, that we are called to the same and greater works. This is a crazy, cool, and let's admit it, scary promise. God is still doing miracles today, and this is a word for some of you, because some of you are in need of a greater work in your life today. There is a place that only God can bring freedom, that only God can bring wholeness, and today we wanna say you are welcome here. We wanna pray with you. We wanna stand in agreement and ask that God's kingdom would come, that his will would be done, that you could experience hope and healing. These verses serve as a foundation and they point us towards our future because we are vineyard. We are a place where you can come and encounter love and experience transformation and experience and then learn to extend the miraculous. This is our story. And so for the next four weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna unpack one of John Wimber's very famous teachings on the four roles that a church plays. And I'm just gonna say those really quickly and then we're gonna take a whole week to unpack each of them. The first role of the church is a family that loves. You know, loneliness and isolation and brokenness, it pervades our everyday culture, but we as the family of God, we can provide the love and acceptance and community that this world needs. We are to love God and to love others. So we are a family that loves. Secondly, we need to be a school that trains. You know, truth is being challenged and confronted and redefined by our media and our educational institutions. Are you confused? Many people are confused, but here's the good news. We know truth and his name is Jesus. And he is the living word and he's given us the written word. And this is going to be the foundation which which we build our lives upon. We are a school that trains. Next, we are a hospital that mends. You know, so many people are in need of healing. Maybe you're in need of healing today. We are called and empowered by Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit to pray for healing. Do you need healing? You're welcome here. Have you received healing? What God does in you, he wants to do through you. And then last but not least, we are an army that advances. You see, so many people live their life without purpose, without cause, but we are more than an audience. We are an army. And so we want to explore, what does that mean? How can we be mobilized for the king and the kingdom? Are we perfect? Absolutely not. But we are a family that loves, a school that trains, a hospital that mends, and a family that advances seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, doing the same and greater works. This is the call on our house to steward. We tell these stories because they're tied to our destiny and he's inviting us into a beautiful destiny. New stories await, fresh stories, stories that will be told decades from now to people that we will never meet. Holy Spirit is always moving. And so the question today is, will you pass or will you participate?
I hope that you'll join us on this journey. I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna worship. Holy Spirit, we thank you for all that you've done these last 45 years. And God, we look forward to the story you're writing in our next 45 years. And as we worship you now, God, we turn our attention and our affection towards you. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.